You're listening to Season 8, Episode Number 6 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I continue in Part 2, Theology of Mission, Mission in the Prophets. Today, I'll be talking about the latter prophets. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Well, thank you so very much for tuning in to this next episode of Strike the Match. Hey folks, we have been going through the concept of theology of mission in this season. If you're just joining us, welcome. I am thankful that you are a part uh, of this journey with us. Uh, if you have not had a chance to listen to some of the previous episodes, let me encourage you to do that, to go back and get the backstory, especially uh, the episode just prior to this one, because this is uh, part two as we look at uh, mission in the latter prophets. Uh, and I would also say, uh, if you haven't had a chance to get my book, Theology of Mission, a concise biblical theology uh, that just came out, uh, last year, I would be honored if you would take a look of that at that book. Uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, reviewing it, uh, posting uh, your comments, uh, sharing feedback with me on that book, I, I would truly, truly find that to be uh, something very honoring and, and, a, and a blessing from you. And so thank you so much for those of you that have already done so and have checked out the book. Hey, I want to go ahead and jump in and get started because there is a lot to cover in the latter prophets today. And so uh, let me, because there's so much information here, let me try to uh, organize this and categorize this at the outset so that when I begin to talk through this, maybe it will help uh, a little bit. Um, so when you think about the blessing of the nations, uh, how God is working to bless the nations, what are some subcategories, or maybe we could even say, you know, sub-themes maybe, related to that overarching uh, aspect of the mission of God and blessing the nation. So if you begin to look in the latter prophets, uh, what you see is the issue of God blessing the nations through judgment, through restoration, through a person, through a promise. Now, let me explain how those break down. So in the latter prophets, blessing the nations through judgment, we really see that in two ways. One, uh, judgment related to Israel and she going into captivity, living in diaspora, living outside of the country uh, that was promised or the land that was promised to, to her. The second way we see God blessing the nations through judgment in the latter prophets is related to what the, what the prophets talked about as the day of the Lord. And we'll unpack all of these uh, in just a moment. The second category, if you want to think about the blessing of the nations, is the blessing of the nations through restoration, and this specifically relates to Israel, her return to the land and reconstruction as a nation and her religious system. Uh, the blessing of the nations is connected to that. Another way that we see the blessing of the nations through restoration goes back to what I just mentioned a second ago, and that is the day of the Lord. We see that even though the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, it's also a day of restoration, and a day of restoration not just for Israel, but also for the nations. Blessing the nations through a person. Now, in the latter prophets, here's how we see this shake out. There is this, there's this individual, uh, if you will, that is referred to as the servant, and in a sense, yes, there is an application of this uh, concept in Isaiah to the, the nation of Israel, if you will. 
But there's also this meaning that's attached to it that is related to one who is able to uh, do that which Israel could not do and is a Davidic descendant. Uh, some of you may have heard the uh, expression suffering servant or the suffering servant passages in Isaiah. That's, that's kind of what we're getting at. The other way that we see the nations being blessed in the latter prophets through a person is related to the spirit. And so Ezekiel will talk about this, Joel will talk about this, and I'll unfold those, unpack those just in a moment. Uh, the last thing I want you to keep in mind and be listening for as I go through a lot of material in a very short period of time is the blessing of the nations through a promise. And that is the promise of the new covenant. And we see Jeremiah addressing that in particular. So with those things in mind, those concepts uh, in mind, let me begin by talking about the latter prophets. So in the Tanakh structure, uh, if you remember what I said in a previous episode, the latter prophets actually make up four books. However, they actually uh, are more than just four books in our uh, Christian understanding of the Old Testament, if you will, and that is the four books uh, in the Tanakh are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Book of the Twelve. Uh, while those are seen as four individual books, uh, for us, we would say those are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve Minor Prophets. So uh, the Twelve Minor Prophets are actually considered one individual book. Now, when you look at these four books, what you find are different authors, different personalities, different themes related to sin, judgment, and restoration, different writing styles, and they cover a great deal of time. So they address uh, time related to 722 B.C., which is the fall of Samaria by the Assyrians, uh, 587 B.C., which is the fall of Jerusalem by Babylon, the uh, return of Israel from Babylonian exile, and uh, the time of the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. So the latter prophets attempts, this uh, the section, if you will, it attempts to address the following matters and their relation to the mission of God. So judgment on Israel, Israel's return to the land, uh, the messianic servant, uh, the new covenant, outpouring of the Spirit, Gentile in gathering, day of the Lord, and restoration. So as that kind of serving as our intro to the latter prophets, let's begin by talking about the blessing of the nations through judgment, and in particular, Israel living in diaspora and the day of the Lord. So, Israel living in diaspora. The restoration and healing of the nations in the latter prophets was dependent on Israel's existence and reception of God's blessings. Judgment on Israel affected the entire world. So when Israel breaks covenant with God, it's not just God's judgment on Israel, but it's it's affecting all of the nations. Because as we talked about in a previous episode in uh, the mission of God in Torah, in Exodus chapter 19, we see that Israel was to be this holy nation of priests living out the kingdom ethic before the world. And so when she was unfaithful, and did not repent of her sin and come back to uh, her God, it affected uh, all the nations and what God had called her to do. Now, when you begin to look at uh, Israel as the nation and her leaders transitioned away from being faithful to the covenant, the promises of Deuteronomy came to pass. And now those promises were 
if you walk faithfully with me, here are the blessings, but if you break covenant with me, here are the curses. And so we find Israel in the latter prophets losing the land. With great blessing came great responsibility. Israel had been a sword of judgment in the hand of the Lord toward the Canaanites, but now her enemies would serve the same purpose against her. Isaiah warned of the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria being carried away by the Assyrians in 722. Habakkuk warned of God using the Babylonians in 587 to bring about um, destruction to the people because of their great violence and injustice in the land. The judgment that came reveals that God is no respecter of persons. He can give blessings and take them away. The nations that should have been amazed at the relationship between Israel and God scoffed and marked at the excuse me scoffed and mocked at the descendants of Abraham. The people who were to be a servant of the Lord became a laughingstock. Israel had failed to be part of the mission to transform the nations, and now the nations would transform Israel. The prophets reveal that Israel and her kings were unable to be that faithful son of the Davidic covenant to bring Torah to the nations. Jeremiah, in that uh, famous passage, Jeremiah 29, that we uh, talk about, uh, you know, but, but seek uh, the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a passage that I think also contains an element of divine irony, if you will. Uh, rebellious Israel did not walk uprightly before the Lord and failed to display her calling as a holy nation. And since the nations were not attracted to her, could it be? Could it be that God would send Israel to the nations via Babylon and Assyria? God is not finished with them. He notes the exiles, even in captivity, had a task to accomplish. Uh, Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of God, uh, he, he makes this statement. He basically says, so let Israel assume the Abrahamic position in Babylon. What, what, what's, get, what's going on here? It's, it's almost as if you see God working among the people of Israel to say, if you're not going to live this out in the land, I am going to send you to the nations via exile and captivity to live out what it means to be my people. Now, the other thing about thinking about the blessing of the nations through judgment is the issue of the day of the Lord. So when we look in the latter prophets, we see this concept, and the day meant judgment and destruction of evil to be followed by peace and restoration for the righteous. It was a day that there would be these cosmological changes it was a day, according to Joel and Amos, that should be feared. Both Israel and the nations would experience the day of the Lord. No one, according to Isaiah and Zechariah, no one escapes the day of the Lord. And though such judgment is foretold in the latter prophets, uh, we find that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, according to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18. Nations can avoid destruction through repentance, Jeremiah 18, uh, the Ninevites in Jonah 3, the, I mean, their response to Jonah's message, I think that's an example of God's grace to the wicked. And so uh, the day would come, the day of the Lord would come, but the nations had 
this day, this moment, to repent of their sin and escape the judgment that was to follow. So those are the ways that you really see the issue of judgment and God blessing the nations uh, in notion of his or in relation to his mission in the latter prophets. But let's uh, let's take a moment to, to think about that second subcategory, and that is the blessing of the nations through restoration. So what do we see? Well, two ways to think about this. In the latter prophets, there is the notion of Israel returning to the land and her reconstruction process. And then the other way to think about it is restoration related to the day of the Lord. And I'll get to that second category, second category in just a second. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, even though Jeremiah says for them, hey, pray for the welfare of the city, you're going to be there for many, many decades. Um, here's what you find. Jeremiah 32, I will bring them back to this place. I will make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Uh, you see Ezekiel, for example, in Ezekiel 36, explaining, God explains to the people why he is going to move them back into the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was going to do it because of his glory, because of who he is. So Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 23, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. And the nations, get this, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So what do you see? You see Ezekiel explaining to the people, why God, and his connection to his mission, why God is going to move them back into the land. Now, Isaiah uh, prophesies that uh, Cyrus, the Persian, would be God's anointed one to carry out his mission in the world, Isaiah 44. And so we find in the year 539 B.C., the Persians defeat the Babylonians, led by Cyrus the Great, and uh, Cyrus allows Israel to go back into the land and to rebuild uh, herself as a nation and rebuild her religious system. But here's the thing, she's still going to be under Persian rule, Persian control. So the full restoration foretold, excuse me, the, the full restoration that the prophets foretold did not arrive with Cyrus's decree allowing them to go back into the land, but their return to the land was a necessary development before the arrival of the Messiah. Zerubbabel would rebuild or reconstruct uh, the second temple. Actually, it would be a, a rebuild of this temple, so to speak. Uh, smaller than the temple built by Solomon, uh, but yet he would, uh, he would hear from, uh, from the prophet that uh, the glory of God would be greater in this smaller temple than it was in the first. In other words, the Messiah would come to this temple, but the temple had to be rebuilt, and the people had to be back in the land as a part of uh, that notion of God's God's mission. Um, what else do we see related to the restoration of um, these matters and the blessing of the nations? And that is when we look at the day of the Lord theme in the latter prophets. Uh, Isaiah notes that um, uh, a remnant of God's people were left and uh, from them a shoot from the stump of Jesse 
would bear fruit. God will place his spirit on the Davidic ruler who will be filled with righteousness and faithfulness. Amos talked about uh, the booth uh, of David would be rebuilt and the fortunes of Israel restored. Uh, You see these concepts showing up about the notion of uh, the restoration of God's people, the day of the Lord, this happens, and the nations being restored and blessed through this. Uh, Zechariah explains uh, that Israel's righteous and humble king would arrive to save and protect his people. He will come in great power and bring about cosmic and earthly changes. The end is that the Lord will be king over all the earth, according to Zechariah. And nations will come annually to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of booths. The prophets testify consistently to the coming acceptance of God by the nations. Not only would the peoples of the world experience grace from God, but this being the day of the Lord, this would also result in their transformation and healing as well. Now, let's think about the concept of the blessing of the nations through a person. And in particular, when we look at the prof, the latter prophets, we see the person being the servant and the spirit. So, though Cyrus uh, may have allowed Israel to come back home, and Cyrus was referred to as a servant, she was still under Persian rule. She had not been freed from that. The Davidic kingdom had not been reestablished. And so, in this situation, Isaiah notes a day... Uh, that will come when there will be peace and freedom, and the Lord's salvation will arrive through a future servant. This king will bring redemption, he'll bring judgment, he'll bring restoration of all things. He is messianic, and there are many passages in Isaiah that we refer to as the servant songs. And what you find is that the role of the servant is not exclusively a role for Israel. But Yahweh states that the servant will be a light for the nations. And in Isaiah 49.6 says that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The servant would achieve what Israel failed to accomplish before the nations of the world. He would bear witness to God and to Torah. This is unlike anything that Israel uh, expected. Uh, or experience. There would be this supernatural level of relationship and blessing through judgment uh, in, in a cleansing, and atoning fashion. Uh, we see this, the notion of the nations being purified. And along with this, the, the servant, this messianic character is going to suffer greatly uh, to bring about peace and to bring about the bearing of the sins of others. And though he's innocent, he He is a substitute. He suffers and dies at the hands of Yahweh, but for some, in some mysterious way, he he returns to the land of the living, according to Isaiah 53. And the servant is called high and lifted up and shall be exalted, according to Isaiah 52. Uh, He's described as a righteous branch by Jeremiah, a righteous branch from the line of David. Very interesting character. Who is this character going to be? Well, we have to keep reading in the, uh, the Bible to find the answer to that. Uh, but that's what we see in the latter prophets. Um, also, I said that uh, the blessing of the nations comes through a person who's described as the Spirit. And so 
in Isaiah, we'll go back to Isaiah, uh, we find out that the Lord promises Israel he's going to pour out his spirit upon uh, their offspring. Uh, his blessings will be on their descendants. Ezekiel talks about God is going to uh, give his people one heart, a new spirit he's going to put within them. Ezekiel sees that valley of dry bones, and, and it's, the, it's, the, it's the notion that though Israel has lost all hope, and um, everything seems to be gone. She's now going into Babylonian captivity. She's lost the land. The temple is destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant is no longer there. The priesthood is gone. Even though everything seems like hope is lost, God is going to bring restoration by, here it is, by placing His Spirit within His people and bringing them back into the land. And so the end of the Babylonian exile partially fulfilled this promise, but Israel, at this moment, uh, in the time of the, the prophets, still waits for its complete fulfillment. Now, Joel is going to look to that day, and so Joel is going to talk about a time where God is going to pour out His Spirit on all people, not just the people of uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but all nations. And this is going to happen before uh, the day of the Lord, and that means that people need to uh, repent and place their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when you look at the latter prophets, taken as a whole, the prophets establish an important pneumatological foundation. In other words, a, a perspective on the Holy Spirit when it comes to the future revelation. And so what is it? When the Spirit arrives, and we see this in the New Testament, when the Spirit arrives on the day of Pentecost, the New Testament gives particular attention to Joel's prophecy, noting that the last days have arrived. The day of the Lord is right here. It's near. The Spirit comes to bless, to comfort, to guide, to empower God's people to be His, don't miss this, to be His witnesses among all nations with the hope that they may be judged by the Spirit and Word and repent and experience God's relational blessings as they participate in God's mission to others, others among the nations. Exciting, exciting things that we see in the latter prophets that we pick up on in the New Testament. All right, so finally we get to the blessing of the nations through a promise, and that is the New Covenant. So, New Covenant, we obviously are familiar with that on this side of the cross and resurrection. But when we look at it from the angle, the perspective of the latter prophets, uh, here's what we, we find in, for example, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. Again, this is around the time of the Babylonian captivity, Babylonian destruction, and Babylonian exile, all of those around that moment in time, those issues. So here's what we have. Behold, Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, 
and I will remember their sin no more. So what is new about the new covenant as God's mission unfolds in the world? Well, this covenant is a response to Israel's ongoing rebellion toward God. The people's hearts will be transformed, and then they will be faithful to the covenant. The new covenant changes the infidelity problem. It upholds God's standards, but provides the ability for the people to remain faithful. Ezekiel chapters 34 through 37 address the notion of God's restored people governed and shepherded by an eternal Davidic king. God's people will one day walk in obedience to his rules and statutes under an eternal covenant of peace. He will again dwell among his people, and then the nations will know that he is, according to Ezekiel 37, 26 through 28, he is the Lord who sanctifies Israel. Now, the New Testament writers, of course, apply New Covenant language in fulfillment to the Messiah. We see this in Matthew 26 and Luke 22. Uh, the New Covenant is made, but it is made for both, and this is so important, it is made for both the welfare of Israel and the nations. And we'll say more about the New Covenant in future episodes when we get into the New Testament. Last thing, last thing that we need to uh, address before we leave the latter prophets, and that is the notion of the movement of the Gentiles, the movement of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God from the perspective of the latter prophets. So instead of this historical incorporation that we've talked about before, where it's just one person here, a few people there coming into uh, the kingdom, locking arms with Israel and her God, what we see is that the latter prophets look to a day where there's this large ingathering, this large sweeping eschatological ingathering of Gentiles that will happen beyond their time. God's name will be great and feared among the nations, according to Malachi. Uh, perhaps one of the most scandalous verses in the prophets is related to this eschatological Gentile ingathering, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 19. Listen to this. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Hey, those are the worst enemies of Israel. In that day, they will, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be a third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. In other words, what do we see? This notion of, of the other nations, Israel's enemies, being called God's people. Now, that's a scandalous passage, but an exciting one to see about God working out his mission in the world. Um, we also see, I'll leave you with this other, one last passage, and that is coming out of, of Zechariah chapter 8. Uh, there comes a day, from the latter prophet's perspectives, where you see um, statements such as this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go up with another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you. 
for we have heard that God is with you. So when we look at the Gentile in gathering, it was to occur during the latter days. And though Israel was to live out God's kingdom ethic, it would be God who would bring the nations to Israel and thus to himself. The centripetal movement is related to God's initiative and his relationship with Israel. Both parties were active in the work. Israel manifests life in God's kingdom as God draws the nations to relationship with himself. While the New Testament will describe the centrifugal movement, centrifuge, if you will, the flinging, if you will, the sending, if you will, while the New Testament will describe the centrifugal movement of God's people to the nations, again, both parties are involved in the process. God remains the one who brings the nations to himself, though his means, or I should say through his means, is primarily found in his people's apostolic efforts while displaying kingdom life to a watching world. The people of God, when we turn to the New Testament, still are to live out the kingdom ethic, but they live it out as they go to all nations. Hey folks, thanks so much for checking out this uh, lengthy uh, and highly packed episode of Strike the Match, looking at the mission of God in the latter prophets. And so uh, next time, Lord willing, we will be talking about the mission of God in the writings. Till then, thank you. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore page. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.